The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, G'day Church, happy Sunday to each of you. Also, if you're joining us for the first time, you've made your way to our online service. My name's Lewis, I want to welcome you to Parramatta Christian Church. And if you are new, we're looking forward to seeing you in person at one of our upcoming church services and we'll keep you posted with all the details. Well, today we launch into our new sermon series entitled The God You're Looking For. Personally, I'm really excited about this as we explore the identity and the character of God. You know, sometimes when I go to Foster, I like to head out to the rocks by the ocean. I like to have a bit of me time, a time to reflect. But what invariably happens while I'm sitting there at the rocks is that the tide changes, the water starts to come in and the waves start to crash on the rocks close to where I'm sitting and that's really unnerving. You know, Nat and I a few years back before we had kids, we were actually on those same rocks, Bluey Beach, Foster, and this freak wave came out of nowhere and literally swept both of us off the rocks and Natalie hurt herself, she broke her toe and so ever since I've been super cautious. I still like to go there but I'm super cautious and so when the tide changes and the waves start crashing in, I do the same thing each time. You know what I do? I move to a higher rock so that from that higher place I can go back to enjoying the scenery because of course the waves can't reach me. They can't get to me. Well, this is the intention of this message. This, this message today in this whole series is that we would move to a higher rocking God so that the waves of discouragement and disappointment and doubt and all the other deadly deeds won't reach us and won't get to our faith in Christ. That we would, in God, be more secure and so enjoy His goodness more and go through life with more success and more strength. And so this is the intention of this message and series. But of course, the implication is, if we're going to move to a higher rocking God, we've actually got to know God better. We can't move higher in God if we don't actually understand who He is. Hence the reason for this series, the God you're looking for, exploring the character and the identity and the personality of God. You know, one theologian by the name of R.C. Sproul, many years ago, he was asked this question. He said, R.C., when you think about people in the world, both inside and outside the church, what is their greatest need? And this great mind, this great theologian who is now with Jesus, he stopped to think about the question and then he said this, quote, The greatest need in people's lives today is to, listen, discover the true identity of God. To discover the true character, the true perfections, the true identity of God. You know, I think R.C. is absolutely right. Because when you think about it biblically and logically, why do we have so much distortion in the world? Why do we have so much pain and misery? Why? Genesis chapter 3. But what is Genesis chapter 3 all about? It's all about a God distortion. A God distortion entered Eden the garden and from there this God distortion has characterized humanity and and throughout that reason there's there's been breakdown and frustration ever since satan the serpent he goes to adam in the garden and says did god say in other words he's calling god's identity into question his goodness and ever since 
since people have really questioned God's goodness as well. This is why we have religion. People turn to religion because they don't actually believe that God is good and wants to give them life and forgiveness and salvation in Christ. And also this is why people turn to irreligion. They're not religious because they think, well, if I really follow Jesus, then that's going to be the end of my life. Like, it's going to be boring. It's going to be drudgery. Why would I do that? Again, that's a God distortion. They don't really believe that God is good because when you experience him you know that he is intrinsically eternally good and so really this is why we're in this series so that we can undistort our god distortions that we can subvert and overcome all our god distortions and even as christians we can still have false ideas and false perceptions of god The good news is God wants us to have a true knowledge, a better understanding of who he is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each person in the Trinity wants us to know him better. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 9, God the Father, he says this, Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast, they should boast in this alone, he says, that they truly, what? Know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, so on and so forth. He's God, Almighty God, saying, hey, I really want you to know me. If you're going to make your boast, boast in this, that you truly do know me. That's God the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, in John chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, his high priestly prayer on the night before his crucifixion, he's talking to his Father in the presence of his disciples, and he says this. He says, now this is eternal life, as he's praying, that they know you, the only true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This was Jesus' mission. This is what pulsated in Jesus' heart. That people would experience life and life to the full. That's why he came. But that knowledge, that life, is is in knowing God as Father and knowing Jesus as this wonderful Saviour. And so the Son of God wants us, each of us, to know God better. But again, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, wants us also to know God better. Paul prays this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, so there's God the Son, there's God the Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom, that's comprehension, inner comprehension and understanding and revelation, that's that we really grasp who God is, so that why? That we may know Him better. So Father God wants us to know Him better, Jesus the Son, it's His prayer and passion that we would know God better, and it's the role of the Holy Spirit to showcase God. This is His delight, the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture we have within, and He wants all of us to know God better and better and through knowing him we can move to that higher rock and have really a revolution in our hearts and more extensive revolution and transformation as we know God. So with that fairly lengthy introduction in view here's the plan for this opening teaching on God's identity. Today we're going to examine or should I say be examined by one of the omnis. You know, the omnis in theology, there are three omnis. God's omnipotence, which means obviously that God is all-powerful, he is strong, he's mighty. Also, his omnipresence, of course, that means that God is present in every single place. He is in every place all at once. 
And the last one, which is going to be our consideration today, that is his omniscience. God has complete understanding and knowledge. The plan for this message, I'm first going to take out the wide-angle lens. We're going to think about theology first. It's going to be quite teachy as we think about God's almightiness, how he knows all things from Scripture. And I hope you don't get whiplash as we move around in the Bible, but I trust it's going to be helpful. And then we're going to zoom in and do some cardiology, right? We're going to apply the teaching and the theology to our hearts, and it will be a bit more preachy. And we're going to be thinking about Psalm 139. David applies the great theology of God's all-knowingness, his omniscience, to his heart. And we need to do the same. So first, theology. Theology. What does it mean for God to be all-knowing? All-knowing. You know, the other day I was sitting at the kitchen table with my daughters and we like to dispute matters, discuss matters. That's kind of our round table, the kitchen table. And our girls were, my girls were going for it. And, and then Kaylee, my eldest, and she said, I don't mind, Dad, if you tell the church this. I wasn't going to tell you, but she's fine with this because it's kind of amusing. She said, I know. They were talking about something. She said, I know the answer. And my other girl said, well, well how do you know? And she said, because I know Everything. So Kaylee said, I know everything. Well, Madison, my five-year-old, my budding scholar and theologian, she piped up and said, oh, okay, so you know everything. All right, well, if you know everything, tell us, like she was like, come on, tell us when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Obviously, Kaylee had to concede defeat, right? She said with a smile on her face, I think he's coming back next year. But she had to acknowledge her lack of knowledge. And this is what it means to be human, right? We all are limited. We have limited smarts. We're not all-knowing. We have limited strength. We're not all-powerful. And we can only be in one place at a time. We're limited when it comes to space. But these limitations do not apply to God. God is this all-strong, ever-present, all-smart, all-wise, all-comprehending God. Now, question. How do we define God's omniscience, his all-knowingness? Well, I swiped the other day this definition from Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem is a super nerd. He understands these things really, really well. He's written a wonderful book called Systematic Theology. And in it, he has a definition of God's all-knowingness. And I modified it because it was quite wordy and quite detailed. And so this is my stab at defining God's omniscience. Here it is. God knows every fact or every detail and every possible scenario perfectly all at once. God knows every fact, every detail and every potential possible scenario perfectly all at once. Now this is one big pregnant definition that we need to unpack. And so here's the plan. We're going to dissect this huge, wonderful definition of God's all-knowingness into four bite-sized pieces so that we can just grasp. Okay, so each in turn, here's the first part. God knows every fact. God knows every fact. God knows every detail. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. This is what we read. Nothing, right? Underline nothing. Nothing in all, underline all, creation. That's the whole cosmos. That's everything in the universe is what? Hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from Him. Then it gets quite personal. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. 
everything is open before him, everything is exposed before him in the whole cosmos. Everything that is seen and physical, material, and all the immaterial things God knows and sees perfectly. One writer puts it this way, No question can confound him. No dilemma can confuse him. No event can surprise him, including the pandemic and what's currently going on in our lives. He has eternal, intrinsic, comprehensive, and absolutely perfect knowledge. Listen to this. Nothing is news to God. Nothing is news to him. And of course, this includes all the unknowns and the mysteries of biology and geology and physiology and chemistry and history and all the other ologies. God knows them intimately, perfectly, intrinsically well. He has all knowledge. But in addition to this, God knows all future events as well. He doesn't only know the past and the present, but he knows all future events. For example, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God, he says, and there is none like me. And then listen, verse 10. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. How is that? How is that possible? Well, he can tell us the future. Why? Because he knows the future. And he knows the future. Why? Because he planned the future. Just think about all the Old Testament predictions and prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus, Messiah. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of predictions in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled absolutely every one of them, all of them, concerning his life, his teachings, what he would do in his ministry, his death, his resurrection, all predicted in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilled them. Why? How? Because God knew the future perfectly because he knows all things. And so this is the first part of our definition. God knows every fact and every detail. I think we can understand that, but now our brains are going to go into overdrive. We've got to start thinking now, and maybe our brains are going to hurt. But if your brain is hurting at home, trying to comprehend this stuff, just think about what's going on in my little brain here as I'm trying to explain these things, this infinite being with my finite brain and my finite intellect. So, here's the second part. God knows every fact and every possible scenario, every potential scenario. This means that God perfectly sees into every would've, should've, could've situation. He sees into it. A passage, Matthew 11, verse 21. Listen to Jesus here. This is quite amazing when you think about the implications of what Jesus is saying. He says, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if, if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, they, their people, would have repented of their sins long ago. So this is incredible. Jesus is saying, hey, if I would have been born back then, like 1,500 years earlier, and, and performed the miracles that I'm currently performing in these two unbelieving wicked towns, that they would have received me. They would have, they would have looked at my miracles and thought, hold on a minute, this must be the Savior, the, the Messiah. And they would have repented. Of course, this is just hearsay. This is not history. But Jesus has perfect understanding here. He can see what would have happened if he would have been living then. In other words, the implication is 
God knows every potential scenario, even the things that have never even happened. Little example, I, I hope this doesn't confuse you even more, but imagine this, all right? Imagine that we have just each day 10 possible scenarios before us, all right? 10 choices, okay? 1, 2, 3, 4, 9, 10. And we choose scenario 5, okay? Which is we choose to go to the cafe to be with our friends. And of course, when we make that decision to go to the cafe, certain things are going to happen as a result of that decision, right? There are certain outcomes. We will go to the cafe, we might get stuck in traffic jam, we'll have a certain conversation with our friend, so on and so forth until the end of the day. And of course, God being all-knowing, he, he knows that perfectly, everything that's played out in that particular scenario. However, notice, we've chosen scenario five. We've left out the possible other scenarios of one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is why it's so crazy. This whole idea of God knowing every possible scenario is that if we would have chosen one, God would understand all the scenarios played out through that decision. And, and two and three and four and, and all the rest, even though in our lives, actual lives, they've never even happened. But God sees into all these could have, should have, would have situations, which is just mind-boggling, and, and we're only thinking about 10 possible scenarios in our individual lives, let alone the entire world with every single human being and all the potential scenarios, and God sees into them and through them perfectly and completely. How's your brain? Mine's hurting too. Here's the third part of our definition. God knows every fact and every possible scenario, here's the word, perfectly. Perfectly, which, which means that God's knowledge is not like fine wine that matures over time, right? He has perfect intellect. He totally understands totally everything. That is, God has never had to enroll in any course. He hasn't been to uni to learn a new thing, to discover a new thing. Like, God, oh wow, I didn't even know that was so. No, no, God knows absolutely everything perfectly, unlike us. You know, the more I know about theology, the more I realize I don't know. But this is never applied to God. He knows everything absolutely perfectly. If he were ever to learn something new, he would not be all-knowing beforehand. And for God to be God, he must be all-knowing. And so God, from all eternity, has known all things that would happen, all things that possibly could happen. He has planned all things. And so his knowledge is extensive and complete and perfect, which is amazing. Now, number four, here's the fourth part of our definition here. God knows every fact and every possible scenario perfectly all at once. The emphasis on the last part there, last time, all at once. Psalm 90 verse 4 reads this way. A thousand years in your sight, like God, a thousand years in your sight are like one day that has just gone by. Now, of course, our psalmist here is being poetic. He's essentially saying a thousand years, that's a heck of a lot of time, like thousand, thousand, there's so much stuff that happens in that thousand years, but, but to you, God, that's, that's just like yesterday. You, you remember it all. It's at the forefront of your mind, in other words. You know all these things all at once. If I was to ask you, what did you do yesterday, you could probably tell me. If I, I mean, if I asked you what you did three days ago or even ten days ago, you'd be scratching your head and be like, oh, now you're stretching it. But yesterday, yeah, you can remember yesterday, what you had for breakfast, who you caught up with, the clothes you wore, 
before, the conversations you had, what you actually did, etc., etc. Well, well, this is like God's knowledge of all things. Everything that's ever happened at the forefront of his mind. Which means, of course, that God never keeps anything at the back of his mind, in his non-conscious memory. And so, if we were to test God, right, and say, okay, God... You're all knowing, right? God says, yeah. Okay, I've got a test for you. How many grains of sand are there on Bondi Beach? He doesn't have to, like a big computer, kind of spit forward an answer, kind of bring the answer to the forefront of his mind. No, 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 because it's always at the forefront of his mind. And, and not only every grain of sand on Bondi Beach, but also Manly Beach and Coogee Beach and Foster Beach, every single beach in Australia and every single beach in the world and every star and all the constellations and every single thing there is to know about, all things is there right in front of him in his mind, not at the back of his mind. This is what it means that God's knowledge is complete all at once, which is profound and staggering. And this is why we need to be blown away and humbled. And so there you go. There's the theology of God's omniscience. How, how are you doing? I trust you're still with me and you haven't zoned out. This is big stuff. This is rich stuff. But this is our God. And so now we need to think about cardiology. We need to take this truth, God's transcendence, his all-knowingness, his omniscience, and apply it to our lives. And so this is where now we turn to Psalm 139, 139, because David does this, this great king, as he's thinking about God's almightiness and his all-knowingness, he does just that. He applies it to his own existence. He applies it to his own life, and so must we. This is what we read in verse 1. David says, O Lord, you have examined my heart. It's cardiology, the, the true self, who we really are before God. You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know everything. And then David helps us out because he teases out for us the extent of God's knowledge of us. And, and we notice in these opening verses of Psalm 139, four main categories, four main categories of God's knowledge of us. Here's the first category. God knows the mundane things that we do, the trivial things that we do. We read, you know when I sit and when I rise, verse 2. Like these things are trivial. I don't pay attention to when I rise to make myself a cup of tea or when I sit to read something. I'm just doing it. I'm on automatic pilot. Well, God sees and God notices, which of course, what's the implication? God must really care for you. To, to care about these trivial things, these finer details. Remember when Jesus said, my father knows every hair on your head? What is Jesus trying to say? It's like, these things are, are, are kind of trivial, they're, they're, they're small, but, but God notices. And I don't know, God doesn't have to count hard for some of you. you know, it's like one, two hair, and just kind of thinking about where's the third. But, but you know what I'm saying? He cares about these mundane things in our lives. Second, he knows our thoughts. He knows our thoughts. Again, we read Psalm 139, verse 2. You perceive my thoughts from afar. From afar, he discerns them. He knows them even before we think them. And then when we think them, he knows them completely. All our anxious thoughts. All our strategic ideas. All our silent thoughts of worship. You know, when you can't even find the words 
you're, 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 you're experiencing heartache and, and you, just, you just think towards God. You, you think, you look towards Him and it's just this kind of glance. Well, well, God knows and God sees. He knows all our thoughts. There's never been a thought, and this is potentially a little confronting, that He didn't see and know about perfectly. He knows all our thoughts. Third, all our ways are open before Him. Verse 3, you discern my going out. And go out. Am I lying down? And you are familiar with all my ways, all our ways at work, the things we do at work, the things we do at home, the things we do in private. He knows, he sees. When we're all alone on some mountain top, he's there. He knows about that. He knows about that. When we're in a crowd and we feel so insignificant, you know, he knows. All our ways are open before him. He never blinks. We're always before his watchful eye. We can never escape his attention. Incredible. What does that communicate? Again, it communicates his care. Because his knowledge is a caring knowledge. Number four, he knows all our words. All our words. Now, this is a bit scary because if you're anything like me, and I know you are, I've said some pretty hurtful, dumb, silly things. We read in verse four. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Every single word that we've ever uttered, God knows about them. Knows about all these words. And of course, this includes the feelings that gave rise to these words. Whether they're kind feelings, compassionate feelings, nice feelings that, that, that brought about nice, kind, compassionate words. God knows all about them, but simultaneously, He knows all about the bad words and these bad feelings that gave rise to bad, harsh statements and words. God knows. And so... In summary, we live our lives before the gaze of God. He always has his spotlight on us. And we can't escape his spotlight. He is all-knowing. He knows every single thing, all these personal deep things about us. As we read earlier, Hebrews 4.13, we are open, naked before him. And we are accountable to this all-seeing, all-knowing God. This is why David says later in verses 11 and 12 of our psalm here, he says, I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. We cannot hide. And so as we think about application, you know, some take-home things here, as we think about and stand in the presence of this all-knowing, omniscient God, then I pray that we would consider these three things. Three things, all beginning with B here. Number one, bow. Bow. Surely this is to be the immediate and appropriate response to our all-knowing God. We're to bow, bow before Him. This is what we see David do in our psalm here in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to comprehend, too lofty for me to attain. In other words, here's the warrior, King David, and he concedes defeat in the presence of God, as it were, he puts his pen down just to be speechless in God's presence before this all-seeing, all-knowing God. He said, you know me thoroughly, completely. You know my innermost being. You follow me around. You know my ways. You know my thoughts from afar. You know my words. And this is his response. He just bows down in worship, sheer wordless wonder. And to church, we need to adopt this posture as well. 
be speechless. I wonder, have you ever been speechless before this all-knowing God? If so, then you, I think, have grasped his all-knowingness. But if not, maybe you've never really grasped it, never really understood this truth about God. He is all-knowing. You know, like Job, in Job chapter 40, uh, Job chapters 38 and 39, God puts Job, as it were, in the dock because Job has started to whinge and complain about God against God to his friends and so Job is put in the dock and God, he levels these questions at Job. In fact, I counted them the other day. 80 questions from God. 80 questions all about knowledge. Job, do you know this about the universe? Were you there? Were you here? Question after question after question after question. 80 questions and at the end, what does Job do? Well, he does what we need to do. He does this. He gets his hand and he puts it over his mouth. And in that he's expressing to God, I've been so arrogant. I've been so foolish. I am so ignorant. So so I'm not going to call your character into question. I'm not going to doubt you anymore. He He does this and this is what we need to do as it were. We need to bow in reverence, in awe and wonder of our all knowing God. So we need to bow. Secondly, we need to boast. Bowing must give way to boasting. Because you see, (laughs) our God, He knows us perfectly, right? He knows all the twisted things about us. When people can't see, and we're glad that they don't know these twisted things in our lives and the brokenness still within, God sees, God knows all of this. And yet, despite all of that, He's still determined to bless us. This doesn't disillusion him. All our flaws and sin, it doesn't make him not interested in us. No, he's thoroughly interested in us and it's hard for us to comprehend. But we are his image bearers. He cares for his creation. He cares for his people. And so he cared so much that Jesus came. Now you've got to try and wrap your head around this. We've been considering the all-knowingness of God. Jesus, all-knowing from all eternity. Guess what happened? At the incarnation, he embraced limitations. Jesus embraced limitations because to be human means we're limited. As I said right at the beginning, we're limited with strength, limited with smarts, we're limited to space. We're only be at one space at a time, one place. And, and this is what Jesus experienced. Why, why, why? Well, to be our saviour. And so yes, God sees the sin, but Jesus went to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could actually be welcomed home and come into the presence of God. And so as we bow, you see, before this glorious God, all-knowing God, well, that brings about boasting because then we realize as we contemplate God's power and knowledge and goodness, wow, yes, I'm humbled because of sin, but, but wow, I'm going to boast in this God who sent his son. I'm going to boast in this Savior who lovingly went to the cross to save me. And so there's boasting, boasting. As we're told in Galatians chapter 6, that if we're to boast, we're to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, here's the challenge. If there's little bowing, there's going to be little boasting. Those who boast much about God's goodness are those who bow often and can contemplate and think about the goodness and the power and the vastness of God. But again, if there's little bowing, there will likely be little boasting. And so this is how we're to respond to this all-knowing God who knows us and loves us. We're to boast. Last, and this is the most pastoral, we're to be brave. We're to be brave. 
You see, it's an unspeakable comfort, is it not? The kind of comfort that energises, knowing that this all-knowing God always looks over us for our good. He's watching over us for our good. And it's a tremendous relief as well that fills us with courage that even though he knows everything about us, all the flaws and the mistakes and the sin, he's not put off. His passion for us is not quenched. He's determined to bless us. He's determined to do us good. And one day, we're going to be with him for all eternity. And in addition to this, we're made brave when we remember that God sees all our scars. When people don't see our scars and sorrows, he does. We're told in Psalm 56 verse 8 that all my sorrows are before you. You keep my tears, says David, in your bottle. You know, legend has it, and I think there's warrant for this. Some people think this is actual history, but some of the women in the ancient world used to have these tear bottles, these tear jars, so that when their husbands went away for extended periods of work or they went away to war, they would cry into these bottles. They would pour out their heart and they would keep the tears in these little jars so that when their husbands returned, they would present their husbands with these bottles as an expression of their devotion, basically saying, you broke my heart when you left and this is how much I love you and care for you and I want you to know that I missed you and so what David is saying in this psalm that God you keep my tears in your bottle is that God really does care he doesn't allow any tears that we shed to fall onto the floor but he keeps them he treasures them and in that he communicates this knowledge I know your sorrows I know your pain I know the plans that you have and the things you want to do and the frustration because things are not actually materializing how you thought they would and that's caused you grief and in your relationship and different things I catch every tear and God is saying I do that because I love you, I know you, I care for you. And of course, this is to make us brave because we've got one, this almighty father who knows. And in addition to that, he knows all your acts of service, everything you've ever done for God, everything you're currently doing for God, everything that you will do for God. Even if no one sees, God sees because he's all-knowing. And even when people see but they don't really care, well, God cares as well because his knowledge, as I've said, is a caring, empathetic, sympathetic knowledge. He He knows. He knows. And so this is to make us brave. Brave. Because our God is the one who not only catches our tears, but he's the one that shed tears as well. As we conclude, he shed his tears. He shed tears on the cross to win us, to save us, to bring us back to God. And that's the remarkable thing about Christianity. And so as we conclude this first message in this new series, The God You're Looking For, let us be those who are brave. Our God knows. He knows everything about me, and yet he's still determined to bless me and so I can come into his presence. Yes, we live before his gaze, his spotlight, but his spotlight is not like this spotlight, you know, just wanting to catch us out, you know, like in the the movies when someone's trying to escape and and they, they get shot. No, 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 no. His spotlight is this loving spotlight, this loving knowledge and so let's boast in him the great grace and forgiveness that we have in Christ as we bow 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 before this all-knowing omniscient God let's pray father thank you 
that you are the all-knowing, all-seeing God. And Lord, we're so amazed that you embraced limitations to save us. And Lord, your knowing is not like this condemning spotlight, just trying to find us out, you know, trying to trick us and catch us out. No, 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 Lord. You do, you do expose things in our lives, but never to condemn us, but actually to liberate us. And so since you know everything about us, I just pray that we would walk out into the light that would not try and keep things hidden from you or each other. But Lord, we would confess, Lord God, our sins. And as James says, experience that healing, physical healing, emotional healing, inner heart healing. As we just open up, Lord, you know all about us anyway. And so I do pray, Lord God, that we would be given this bravery, this boldness, Lord, as well in life. And Father, I pray. Lord, as we think about this incredible doctrine, teaching, that you know all, this week I ask, Lord God, that it would really stir us and encourage us in your Son's name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.